Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So super excited about the guest that we have today. You know, definitely someone that has been there, done it multiple times, uh, and definitely is gonna be quite inspiring to hear about his journey. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Malte Hogaisek. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, and uh, thanks for having me. So originally born in Cologne. So how was life growing up there, Malte? It was uh, it was great. Um, you know, Cologne is one of the bigger cities in in, in Germany, um, but actually it's a, it was a bit outside, and uh, yeah, was uh, was brought up in uh, in a nice family with two sisters, and yeah, was uh, was was great going to school, studying there, and after the studies, basically started my career here in, in Germany at uh, at Siemens, and uh, took it took it from there. And even you know, not only in your career. Uh... But then also like the the and the way that you've moved around the world, but also even in your studies. I mean, you were always putting the international either on management on business. So so what was going on with you and and your global approach to looking at the world? Yeah, very very good point. Yeah, I, I studied international management from from the get go and uh, always wanted to do an MBA um, from before I even started working. So. After my uh, my phase at, uh, at at Siemens, I did an MBA at Harvard Business School. Um, where I actually also met my current co-founder Philip Trebel, and yeah, I I, I'm, I consider myself almost a, a global global citizen because also after after the MBA, I, I went down to to Brazil um, to found my first company, and yeah, I was always very open open minded with different cultures and, and the international business. So um, that was always a big driver in my life. Yeah, and that was quite an interesting journey because you went from Siemens to, you know, doing also some internships in consulting firms to really like all of a sudden, here you go, you wrap it up, you pick up your back and you go to Brazil. So, so how, I mean, that's quite of a crazy transition because you are in the U.S., you know, like the promised land, you know, where the, the American dream and, and you decide to leave all of that behind and to go to Brazil. I mean, in not even speaking Portuguese. So what were you thinking? <laughs> that's uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think um, so. After after the MBA, um, you know, many people go into consulting, investment banking, uh, private equity, and all of that. But I was always an entrepreneur at heart, so um, I wanted to give it a try. And uh, yeah, basically, the opportunity was uh, was down there in, in Brazil. I talked to uh, Rocket Internet back then, and there was this opportunity to basically replicate the success of uh, Zalando, which is the 
the leading fashion and lifestyle player in Europe um, in, in Latin America. So I went down there with, uh, with three other co-founders to, to found Dafici, who which today is the, the leading um, fashion and, and lifestyle um, e-commerce platform in uh, Latin America. So in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and Colombia. So that was a super, super exciting opportunity. And, you know, even though I didn't do um, any, any, any sourcing or um, uh, worked in fashion or e-commerce before, and as you said, didn't speak Portuguese, you know, I, I really wanted to build uh, something, build businesses, build teams, build processes. And um, yeah, did, could, could do all of that in, in Brazil. And we, we got lucky. So um, today it's the, the, the biggest platform over there. And we're yeah, very, very, very proud about that. Because what was the business model of Dafiti? What, what is really the business model there? The business model is basically to, to become the category killer, right? So um, for, for fashion, the one-stop shop for, for fashion. So um, it's, it's really about the, the selection and the portfolio. So the, the biggest goal is basically to, to get all of the SKUs, all of the main brands um, to your portfolio. So uh, because with that portfolio, it's basically the... At Amazon, Amazon calls it the flywheel effect, right? A bigger portfolio drives conversion. Conversion uh, brings down your marketing costs. And then with that, you can uh, acquire more traffic or more efficient traffic than others. And then with that traffic, you, you can broaden your portfolio again. So it was all about that. And me as a, the chief commercial officer, I was um, responsible in creating the portfolio. So everything from portfolio planning, purchasing, the supplier relationship, inventory management and pricing, kind of the core commercial topics were with me. And um, so we, we, what was really interesting there as well, we, we kind of started with retailing. So buying and reselling brands, then launched our private labels, um, and then even became a marketplace ourselves with hundreds of thousands of sellers on our platform. So kind of um, got that, that, that whole complexity from, you know, in the first season, I think we had like 100 brands and, uh, uh, and with, a, I don't know, a few thousand SKUs. And at the end, uh, I think we have 300, 400,000 SKUs nowadays. So um, and that's kind of the, the selection that's, that drives all of the efficiencies and, and scale um, afterwards. So that's, that's kind of the important, important thing in the beginning. Then obviously it's marketing. And then in, in the end, e-commerce is all about operations and, and convenience and uh, reducing lead times and, and customer happiness. Yeah. And this was a, a rocket internet company too. I mean, rocket internet for the people that are listening is essentially very well known for um, grabbing, you know, business models that they've seen around the world and then launching them in, in other areas. And, you know, kind of like an, a, a different flavor of an incubator program, but, uh, you know, it's already trading. I, I believe it's, it's publicly available. They are traded in, in, in online. I mean, online. It's a, did an IPO uh, back then. But I guess in this case, you know, there was a very interesting approach, which was to really merge several entities and to integrate them. And, you know, as they say, most uh, acquisitions or mergers, you know, they're, they fail. They're very tricky because it's all about the transitioning aspect of it and the integration. So I guess how did you guys go about integrating all these different properties to make sure that, uh, you know, it will, be, it will be effective and that it will be successful to help you guys continue ramping up the growth? Yeah, we had the situation that we, we merged um, two um, other websites that were from, from the same group uh, into our operations. So which, on the one hand, may, makes it made a lot of sense, obviously, um, on a, from a financial perspective, uh, given, given the additional scale and, uh, and the synergies that you, that you would have, on, uh, especially on operating costs. Um, and it's actually very interesting because you hear so many things about post-merger integration and, and culture, and you would assume that, you know, in the in this even in the rocket inter uh, universe with similar co-founders, similar age, and very similar culture, how how uh, difficult cultural integration can be. So we 
we really tried to really try to have an approach that we we have a new group together uh, rather than taking them on in 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 the Fiji. Um, so so we wanted uh, we wanted to to make kind of a, a new brand name out of it that that we that we kind of so, sold it more as a and made made it feel more as a as a merger than than a takeover and and really tried tried to evaluate uh, you know everyone equally no matter from 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 which uh, company they they came from and really tried to put the best the best people um, in 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 the, in the positions. Um, that obviously had to be merged in, in in some in some way. So I think that was the most important one: um, the cultural fit and uh, and the people integration. Um, obviously, then you know operational uh, complexities. Uh, you have the, the normal ones with with consolidating warehouses, etc. But uh, you know the, the biggest the biggest um, move is then is obviously gaining that top line, uh, releasing the the synergies on on the operational expenses. That that gives you kind of a step change uh, that was completely uh, worth it and uh, yeah the culture in the end um, worked out very well so i, I would say it is a, was a very very successful integration so in this case for dafiti you know how 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 big is dafiti today for the people that are listening to get an idea on the size and the scope today it's uh, above a billion dollar in in sales uh, it's profitable 3500 employees um and it's the yeah the leading the leading e-commerce player. We assume around forty percent market share in Latin America, and uh, with a physical presence in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and, uh, and Colombia. Um, so that's 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 the size of uh, of the Fiji uh, right now, more or less. That's amazing. In this case, you decide at one point that uh, it was time for you to pack up and and go back to to Europe. So I mean, and and perhaps take a sabbatical. So. So at what point do you decide that that's the the best move and and I'm sure that leaving your baby behind you know was 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 not easy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, interest it's it's interesting how how things change. I mean, at at the beginning um <laughs> we kind of were naive enough to think we go down to Brazil and do that for 3 years and uh, you know, uh then come go back to Germany and then, you know, obviously in this case this com- was a completely super growth success story. Uh, and then you you stay longer and longer. Um, but at, at some point, for, for me especially, I, I really like the beginning of uh, of founding a business, um, kind of have the the, the vision and putting the, deriving the strategy and and executing on that that blank page and and building things. So uh, I love to yeah build processes, tools, structures, teams, and you know at the, after yeah I think after four or five years already it turned more into a management a management job. There was always new things coming uh, regional expansion the integration topics etc but became always more of a of a of a purely management uh, a job and uh, yeah i wasn't that motivated anymore and also wanted to um, to go to back to to germany actually which uh, which i did for a little bit did a small sabbatical uh, but then after 6 months it kind of drew me drew me back to to sao paulo actually it's uh, I'm not sure who has been uh, in sao paulo who's listening in I mean, Brazil is a beautiful country. Sao Paulo is an amazing city. Um, I made lots of friends and had a, have a very good network there as well. Um, so, so I went back and then I, did, I kind of wanted to build something from scratch again. And this time also with my with my own money and uh, you know really really being in uh, uh, within, within within with all my skin and into into the business and bootstrap something. So, um, and given the the success that the, our marketplace um, section had on on the Fiji and the size the, those sellers would uh, would have. Uh, I said, look, let's let's just uh, become a seller in the other marketplaces, uh, build something from scratch, some small, and that really grew very, very quickly. Quickly had a team of fifteen people, um, you know, selling fashion, furniture, and decoration articles on the other five big uh, general merchandise players in 
in, in Brazil, including, including Amazon. Um, and yeah, learned, learned everything about being a seller on a platform, which is a very, very important knowledge and experience for, for me today uh, at what we're doing today. So, so that was great. And then in parallel, though, there was an opportunity to, to acquire um, a business. So, and that was for me a very, very exciting experience because you know, I, never, I never bought a, a business before um, and it was a turnaround case. Um, you know, with lots of opportunities on the balance sheets, but also some risks. And um, yeah, a friend of mine decided to to partner up and and acquire the business and and focus on that turnaround, which uh, was successful. Um, it's a beauty brand and the direct selling space. And um, yeah, so things things were running well, and then uh, Corona uh, came and <laughs> disrupted all of our lives. And uh, I really wanted to, you know, after after se- after seven years in Brazil, I wasn't ready, so I came back. But now, after ten years, I said probably now is the time to. Be closer to my family, so I um, I, I came back to to, to Germany um, last year, and 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 finally Philip, uh, my my co-founder today, was also in a, in a similar situation. So he he lived in uh, so he has a very complementary background to mine. Um, did Goldman Sachs Special Situations Group before the MBA. After that, uh, founded a company himself as an entrepreneur and did a few roll-ups in, in the healthcare space. Um, and was just visiting from New York, and uh, af- uh, while he was uh, in in Europe, um, you know, Trump put the travel ban, and so he was stranded here. And we we looked uh, at a few projects together, and uh, yeah, ended up um, founding Stellarex. So then, tell us about that process of um, you know just brainstorming, taking a look at what's out there, and then all of a sudden you guys say, okay, I think this this idea may have legs. And then how do you go from that to really bringing it to life? Yeah, um, I mean. To be to be very honest, the the first things that that we had in mind, also me after ten years of e-commerce, I thought you know let's look at something new. <laughs> um, and as as Corona hit, we thought like healthcare might be a super interesting space. There's a digitalization of healthcare is happening. There's a lot of interesting projects. Uh, also, a few of our our friends and networks uh, started great companies there. So actually, we looked into that for for a month or two. Um, yeah, but then we 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 discovered you know this opportunity to to roll up um, Amazon FBA sellers, um, that this is a, is, a, is a trend that has been going on in the US uh, for quite some years. And the moment I looked into it and you know, saw, saw the economics, um, given my background from you know, being kind of the plat- having a platform view, having the seller view, and also kind of the managing a brand view, yeah, FOMO kicked in, <laughs> fear of missing out, uh, many sleepless nights. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we got dragged in, got obsessed uh, with the idea. And uh, and you know, I think the most important thing uh, when you when you start a company, I mean, obviously one thing is assessing the market. It's very clear how how big the market is, so we didn't need to uh, spend a lot of time there. But then trying to identify the key risks um, before before you start something like that, because um, I wouldn't be that as naive anymore as going to Brazil. That's a two to three year game. It's going to be another ten years. <laughs> so you you really want to make sure that. Uh, that, that you're starting the the, the next uh, right into this next cycle. So we identified actually two two key risks for for the idea. I mean, one is obviously the the Amazon dependency um, that you have um, because most of the sellers are, are purely selling on Amazon. Um, and then the second one is obviously competition that would start because uh, you know big big markets, big ideas um, that scale quickly. You're not not going to be alone for for a long time. Um, so the most of our analyses was were focused on that to get comfortable around that that idea. Um, and our answer basically was, look, um, in, in the end, Amazon uh, is very well aligned with what we're doing. Um, they want happy customers, and we are acquiring basically category-leading products um, with very good reviews, so a review mode 
uh, high star ratings, etc. So really proven best products. Um, so and they want customers to have the best products at the best price and the best experience. So we are acquiring those that are usually the price leader. Uh, and the, the, be- the best experience is guaranteed because it's FBA, which is fulfillment by Amazon. So actually Amazon, so we are sending our products to Amazon. Amazon does the picking, packing, the sending out of the product, the returns, handling and the customer service for you. So uh, and if, if Amazon is changing their strategy and uh, is going to deliver the products with the drone, we will be sitting in the drone. So we are, we are fully aligned with, uh, with Amazon. Um, and uh, so, so we got quite comfortable um, with that. And also, I think what we're doing is really cleaning up the Amazon catalog a little bit and, you know, make brands nicer um, and, and more appealing for, for the customers. And the second one was around uh, competition. And, you know, there, were, there was more important to dig deeper into the market and really understand how many sellers are out there that we can acquire. Um, and, you know, there's around 2 million active sellers um, on, on the Amazon platform. And looking at the criteria that we use um, for, for our acquisitions, we, we estimate uh, something between ten to 15,000 uh, sellers, um, between yeah, above 1 million in net sales that uh, would, ma- would meet our criteria. So it's just a huge, huge market um, to be successful in. And um, yeah, and then we, we gave it a go and uh, talked to a few uh, VCs, what they thought of the idea. And, um, and then Cherry Cherry um, uh, here in, in, in Berlin that I had some connections uh, to before as well said, yeah, uh, love the idea. Uh, also then uh, pit, we pitched it to, to Felix Capital uh, based out of London um, that, that very quickly uh, jumped, jumped on, uh, on, on the ship. Um, so we raised our seed with, with, with Cherry, Felix, uh, and also Village Global, which is a smaller um, Silicon Valley fund, uh, but the who and who of Silicon Valley is, is invested. And then uh, but then, obviously, as this is a um, uh, M&A theme, so uh, obviously it's dr- driven mainly through acquisitions. Um, we we are also um, we, we raised that from Triple Point, um, and uh, yeah, could announce a huge seed round that uh, equity and debt combined over a uh, hundred million um, euros. So that's that's how we got started, and um, and yeah, with with the experience, it was it was relatively clear who was doing what. So Philip building the investment team, right? Everything from lead gen to analyzing the seller to doing the due diligence, and then me on the operational side. Um, you know, running, running, operating the business and building the tech around uh, that we need to scale this business. Because how much uh, capital Malte have you guys raised to date for for SellerX? Over 130 million. Got it. And then when you're thinking about raising capital for a company like SellerX, that is really, you know, oriented to buying, you know, some of those companies that are selling on Amazon and then optimizing them and making them better. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there is a different structure than the one that you would typically see on on hyper-growth startups that is just for operations. I mean, here you also need to take a look at the amount that you need as well for doing all those acquisitions. So how do you really think, you know, the on the fundraising side for the money that you're going to need for your own operations versus the money that you're going to need for the acquisitions of those companies? How how does that work? Yeah. So I think there's there's two particularities to the to the business if you compare it to something like Dafitio or Zalando where you build some like a platform from scratch and you need to acquire customers on an inefficient portfolio at the beginning etc so you're you're definitely overspending on customer acquisition costs and that's what makes uh, you know a company uh, un- unprofitable at the beginning so here it's obviously a completely different game we are acquiring profitable assets and consolidating them and growing them further and 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 um, yeah using using synerg- cost synergies 
So um, it is actually a, a profitable roll-up, and that's why also debt is available um, for, for this in general. And then depending on your negotiations with your debt provider, and depending on kind of the, the, the criteria that you, that you define for your targets, there's anything yeah, between, I would say, 80 to 100% you can acquire with debt. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it depends kind of what the, what the equity portion is that, that you need to um, put in to acquire those assets. And then running, running the business um, and, and expanding there is an investment. But we, as we are at the beginning now, mainly fulfilled by, by Amazon. It's not that we are building huge warehouses with our own capital or investing in automation yet. So that's something that's coming uh, a little bit later when we, when we have the scale. So actually, in terms of, in terms of cash flow, um, you know, it's, it's profitable. And even, you know, with the, with the interest payments, we're, we're in a very good cash position that, yeah, most, uh, you know, most, most of the, the, the equity that we're, that we're raising goes in, in financing also the, the acquisitions and, and obviously just building, building the team and the structure and the tech. But, um, yeah, the looking at what, how much we're acquiring, it, the, most of it goes into acquisition, obviously. And, and in terms of those acquisitions, I mean, how do you really identify, let's say, one of those uh, millions of sellers that, that are on Amazon that, you know, could be interesting for you? I mean, what is the process of, you know, really, you know, like identifying a winner? I mean, how do you know that, you know, one of those sellers, you know, has the ideal potential for you to potentially explore something? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, maybe two steps back What's uh, to quickly talk about our vision. So what is it that we want to do? Obviously, it needs to be aligned with that. Um, so we want to build a winning uh, portfolio of global direct-to-consumer brands. Um, so that's the end goal. And this portfolio will be obviously fueled by acquisitions. Um, at the beginning now, it will be FBA, Amazon um, sellers, because that is the opportunity um, uh, you know, that, is, that is most present where we need to move very quickly. But then, obviously, we, we're going to think broader also in, in the future, um, acquiring direct-to-consumer brands. But just to understand where the end goal is, so that, I think that's, that's important. On, the good thing about Amazon is that all of those sellers, um, you know, conduct their business through the Amazon Seller Central account. So information is very standardized, very organized, because it's, it's on Amazon, right? So that's, that's a great thing. So the, the internal information about orders, costs, and all of that, um, you know, come in a very standardized format that makes the diligence very, uh, very easy. But before you, you get access to that, obviously, um, also Amazon is obviously a website that you can scrape, um, crawl, you can get all of the information. There's also services that you can connect to to really understand uh, who is the category leader in which niche. And what we really look at um, in, in terms of an investment thesis, um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily acquiring the seller. I mean, obviously, we're acquiring the seller, but then he has certain listings and we are buying the, the shelf space in the Amazon algorithm, which is a search machine for, for products, right? And um, the defend defensibility of, of that listing um, is, mainly, is mainly given through the review mode that those products have, right? So if you, if you buy the product that has 10,000 reviews and 4.7 stars, so that's the best indicator that this is a great, great quality product. Um, and we want to be definitely in the in tier one of, of the review leaders because that's a position that you can defend. Uh, on, on Amazon, even though that is a product that might be similar or look similar to other products. It's just when the end consumer is looking at, at yours with 10,000 products and another one with 50, <laughs> 50 reviews, um, you know, the conversion on, on our product will obviously be, be, be higher. And that's also an um, accelerator going to other Amazon markets where, um, you know, other, other products might have less reviews. And if you enter that market, then that's, that's a great advantage to, to scale very, very quickly. So reviews, it's, it, reviews one of the, the biggest factors. Um, also as the differentiator. And then as we build a brand, uh, especially also off Amazon, our own website, um, you know, that review factors get less less uh, important. And it's really about 
really building direct-to-consumer brands. And even if those are not the ones that, you know, we're not going to launch uh, TV campaigns and everything about it, but, you know, uh, even the first seller that we bought, it's kind of in the art supplies industry uh, segment, um, has 15,000 orders every month, right? So here's about customer touch points and, uh, you know, how you can uh, f- uh, phrase those. Um, you have a, a, a nice brand visually. Do you tell a nice brand story? Is your content on Amazon great in terms of pictures, videos, and, and copywriting? Um, do you? How about your your boxes, uh, your unpacking experience, uh, your website presence? Do you give extra content out, like painting courses or something like that? You know, do you engage with your customer afterwards? So all of that, everything that makes a brand feel like a brand, that's something that we that we can execute on without having to um, you know heavily invest in reach that uh, will only pay off down the line. Nice. So I guess. Uh... You know, to get a better idea, especially for the listeners on the scope and the size of Celerex today, I mean, anything that you can share around maybe like number of employees or anything along those lines? Sure. Yeah, we um, acquired more than 20 companies already. Um, We have uh, around 150 employees internally, around uh, 50 from the portfolio companies that we are keeping and integrating. So uh, around 200 employees. And uh, yeah, growing, growing very fast and uh, also looking for new talent to join the club. So if anyone is listening and says is, is interested uh, in this space, obviously feel free to, to reach out. Um, we need lots of uh, awesome people to help us uh, build this. Cool. And, and you were alluding to it before, like on the, on the vision side. So imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world five years later where the vision of Celerex is fully realized. What does that world look like? Yeah, so I think in in five years, we we will have successfully yeah built and and executed the acquisition machine uh, that is fairly automated and identifying the right targets um, throughout Amazon, other marketplaces, and other also other uh, direct to consumer brands. Uh, we will also yeah have fully implemented the operational machine that uh, you know onboards those uh, very automized and uh, and you know pulls all of the lever levers and brings those brands. Uh, within, yeah, with, with very little uh, individual effort and optimization to all of the, the regions and all of the channels uh, that we want to be in, kind of really like an omni, omni-channel approach. So that, that will be built. And I think over time, we will talk less about sellers and products. And uh, because as we, as we go, grow strong on our websites, the conversation will be more about customers, um, the engagement with customers, and you know, how, how, to, how to be where, where, they, where they are. And then I mean, acquisition, I think, will always be, be a big theme, but we will also talk about more, you know, launching new innovative products and new brands um, on, in, within this uh, machine and, and automated value chain. Um, and uh, I think it will be just a fantastic place to, to try out new products and, and, and launch you know, innovative things. So, and, and, and hopefully, um, yeah, get to a point where we have direct-to-consumer brands that everyone has in their, in their homes. And, uh, a friend of mine always said, 2040, we will reach 90% e-commerce penetration. I was kind of laughing at him. Um, but given the acceleration we've seen now through the last year, I mean, we are, we are at crazy speed uh, increasing the, the, the share. Uh, we means uh, all e-commerce companies. So, and I think this, this, this customer acquisition that has happened now and, and with people that haven't bought online before that you, you won't lose given the amazing convenience that Amazon and, and, and big uh, platforms have, that will not go away. And um, so I hope we will, we will have an amazing impact with our products in, uh, in almost every household. Nice. So 
I guess, you know, one, one of the questions that I typically ask to the guests that come on the show that I like to ask you is imagine, I mean, incredible journey that you've had as an entrepreneur, no? building and scaling companies. Now, obviously, with your latest baby with Cellarex, but imagine I put you into a time machine and I'm putting you back to where you just got your MBA, you know, from Harvard. And here you are, like, dreaming about, you know, maybe like starting out something, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. And you have the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self, with that younger Malte. You know, what would you tell that younger Malte? What would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self before launching a company and why, based on what you know now? Yeah, that's a, that's a very, very good question because, uh, you know, you think after the MBA, wow, the world is mine. Let's go and see. And in, in the end, looking back, uh, we were pretty young. <laughs> and, uh, and and so I think um, maybe given given some perspective, what what I was thinking about after the MBA, I mean, it was not like oh, I'm I'm you know I'm gonna build the, this uh, one billion dollar plus uh, e-commerce company somewhere in an emerging market. I was I just knew that I had a drive to do something entrepreneurial. So, uh, but that was very very broad, from even a niche company to you know to something that that big and. Um, Maybe the the one the one advice uh, I would I would give my myself back then um, maybe thinking about scaling a company is uh, yeah it's it's really all about people <laughs> uh, that's what it is especially in a in a startup um, you know growing growing up in in a company like Siemens that has lived over 150 years and perfected processes and tools and you know where where people might be a little more more exchangeable. In a startup, obviously, it's the completely other way around, and um, so so people are key uh, not only to do the stuff, but to build those processes, to build those tools, and um, and I think just this the, the the amount and the the attention and the detail you have to give at your hiring process is really really important because that's that's the family that you're building, the team that you you will rely on, um, and and yeah, so it's it's all about hiring hiring the right the right talent and also hiring the right talent at the right time. I think looking back also in terms of uh, uh, mistakes or where I could have uh, done things better was maybe putting the, the the right person at the wrong place or at the right place at the wrong time, right? So either uh, promoting a bit yeah. too quickly or you know and and trying to give uh, some people where you knew it's not really going to work out uh, too many more chances and then and then losing a lot of time um, you know with 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 that and um, so I think that that's 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 about it and and with people the, the you have kind of trying to perfect your interview uh methodology and asking for the right things but then in the end also whenever my gut said something um and i didn't listen to it that's where i did most of the mistakes because i thought rationally i i was winning against my gut feeling and um uh yeah when it comes to people i think um there's a lot of things that you can check in an interview experience know-how skill set uh motivation but then I think that the, the gut feeling is very, very important because it's people that you 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 will win and uh, and struggle with and go through thick and thin. So, yeah, that that's just the, the most important thing that I think over over the course of time in general went very well. But um, you know, those are those are the big decisions that you make. And lastly, what is a book that you know you would definitely recommend that has had the biggest impact for you as an entrepreneur? Getting things done from David Allen. Yeah, I think it's 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 an amazing book because um as an entrepreneur, I think it's it's very I mean 
you are you're on so many fronts you're like you're you're you're, you're building things you you need to manage crisis you are you have growth pains and 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 all of it so i think what's what's really important to yeah have a have a great system to get rid of your loose ends in your in your head um get things in uh, in a very organized way and put them put them down so so you know you you can prioritize and nothing important falls falls off the table it's very it's very simple techniques um but just like simply simply having that space where where you save it and then with that getting the anxiety a little bit out of your out of your head and being able to sleep because you know uh, it is it is organized in a structured way where it will pop up um with the right prioritization at the right time um to to attack that that issue i think that's that's something very practical and and a book that um I think is is also giving very very direct advice how how to do things and uh, I thought that was that was very that was very useful um so on on a, on a practical scale and then you know obviously uh, all books that Clayton Christensen my my favorite professor um at, at Harvard uh, wrote about disruptive business models uh, obviously is 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 more on the, on the macro side super super interesting and his lenses um you know how to how to look at businesses and products the jobs to be done etc it's more like on the on the macro side, the, the inspiring book, and uh, yeah, more. This one was great for macro, and the other one for 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 the for the micro day to day stuff. Very cool. So, Malte, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, um, if it's if it's related to to Celerix, uh, then obviously it's our website. Um, it's not the most beautiful. Uh, it's still the one that Philip and I did in the first week of business and didn't become the priority until today. Launching a new one in in a month from now. So there we have a. Uh, um, like a little template uh, where where you can reach us. If it's uh, on a on a personal way, obviously I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, you can you can find me. And I'm uh, I'm I'm answer. I'm trying to answer requests there. And uh, obviously, if you connect it uh, to Alejandro and the team, uh, also happy to get uh, emails uh, forwarded. And uh, always always super interested in in networking and partnerships and uh, and thinking broad outside of the box. So so happy to get inquiries and discussing this. Amazing. Well, Malte, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you so much as well. It was a, it was a pleasure. And uh, I really love what you guys are doing. And uh, keep up the good work. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.